Hello and welcome to Trending Pet Food, the industry podcast where we cover all the latest hot topics and trends in pet food. I'm your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, Lindsay Beaton, and I'm here today with Aurelie de Rotold, CSR Director for Simrise Pet Food, and Pierre-Marc Giraud, Development and Technical Support Manager for the EMEA region at Simrise Pet Food. Hello and welcome. Hello. Hello. In case you're not familiar with my guest, here's what you need to know. Aurelie graduated with a degree in food science and has a PhD in biotechnology applied to aroma. With seven years of experience as a flavorist and biotechnologist, she joined Simrise Pet Food in 2000 to work on innovation projects for both cats and dogs' palatability. She led R&D teams during more than 15 years on multiple topics from the regional implementation of product development teams to advanced and disruptive research projects. Aurelie was promoted in 2020 to CSR Director of Simrise Pet Food. The CSR policy put in place is both complying with Simrise corporate sustainability goal policy and the requirements of pet food ecosystem specificities. The program covers a large range of topics, including alternative sourcing, sustainable innovation, waste valorization, energy management, climate change, due diligence in the supply chain, responsible use of raw materials, and safety. With a master in food science from AgroCampus in Brittany, Pierre Marc joined Diana Pet Food in 2010 following his first role in technology research in Germany. He spent four years working at Diana Pet Food in Argentina as a research and development specialist. He later joined the company's headquarters in France to fulfill various projects as a technical expert supporting both internal and external customers. He is now the development and technical support manager for the EMEA region. Simrise Pet Food is the global leader of sustainable high-value solutions improving pets' well-being and owner satisfaction. Thanks to the company's combined employee expertise, Simrise partners with pet food manufacturers to offer complete solutions covering three essential aspects of pet food, pet food palatability, pet nutrition, and pet food protection. Simrise's recent journey to reduce its CO2 emissions and a case study presented by the company on its journey to eco-sustainability while producing palatins is why I've brought both Aurelie and Marc Pierre on today to answer this question. What are the opportunities for eco-design in the pet food space? There are a lot of different sustainability conversations happening in the pet food space right now. So I want to start with a little bit of a 101 question. What is eco-design? Eco-design is a systematic consideration of the environment protection in the design of products and services. So it's all about reducing needs of resources, preserve some of non-expendable resources, pay attention to the usage and to the end of life of the product. So eco-design is designing in the circular thinking and not anymore in a linear way of doing. We have to consider a product along its whole life, what is called cradle to grave. This eco-design methodology is encompassed in methodology ISO norm. So it is all about the ISO 14,000 series of norms. And then it allows to run what is called a life cycle assessment. It allows to identify where the impacts are coming from when you have your products until its final usage. So for instance, in agro-agribusiness, 75% of the impact, so environmental impacts, including climate change and greenhouse gas emissions, are coming from the raw material production themselves. 
And when we have a look at the whole product footprint, 90% is linked to indirect impacts coming either from the sourcing, upstream transportation, packaging, or downstream transportation. Only 10% of impacts are due to the direct manufacturing of the products in our plants. That means that at the end, eco-design will involve a large number of actors. Among them, we can find the purchase teams, supply chain teams, R&D teams, but also operational teams. I think those are really important points to make and really important numbers to get out there because it's so easy in this conversation. And we've been having the sustainability conversation in earnest for at least a few years now in the industry, right? But it's been a lot of high-level conversation. And it is a lot easier, I think, to focus on the more direct outputs like Packaging has been a huge part of the sustainability conversation from the start and taking a look at the manufacturers and their end product and how the end product gets transported to where it's going to go and things like that. But that's such a small part of the bigger picture of pet food and the bigger picture of sustainability. So it's really interesting that you guys took that approach from the start and went, look, there is a lot that feeds into this that has nothing to do with the end result or comes way before the end result. What do we need to do to ensure that we're looking at this entire picture? Is that one of the things that appealed to you as a company, the ability to really just start at the beginning and go through and get a comprehensive look at things so that you could see what it is you really needed to do? Or was that a new approach for you guys? So it was quite a new approach, but it was not done like that. In fact, there were some commitments that we had as a responsible company to address, like, for instance, in terms of sustainability, responsible production, responsible portfolios, and responsible sourcing. So as a reminder, in 2015, there was the COP Convention of the Party 21, where the nation set up for the Paris Agreement aiming to reduce the global greenhouse gas emission. So as a responsible company, we had to commit to these agreements because we are part of nations. We are part of the ones that manufacture goods and that then have to reduce greenhouse gas emission. We started from nothing because it was new, but it was not new that we wanted to act as a responsible company. And this is why having a full picture of where the greenhouse gas emissions were coming from was particularly important to us in order to act at the right place, at the right greenhouse gas action plan for efficient reduction. You mentioned packaging, you mentioned uh, manufacturing. So yes, it is important to act there because we have the hand on it, but it was in agro-agribusiness, more relevant also to consider all what was coming upstream. And this was really for us the real responsibility of a company to be able to choose what we were putting in our products in order to supply the market with responsible products. The second point of why we wanted to address that is that we wanted also to anticipate coming regulation. 
already in 2018, there were a lot of trials that were done on uh, product environmental footprint labeling. Also, there were a lot of things happening in Europe concerning greenhouse gas reduction. The European continent committed to reduce its greenhouse gas emission. And a lot of regulations were pending, especially in France, that was quite in advance. And we didn't want to be too much in the hurry afterwards to deliver some data on the market, on the footprint of our products. We had also some side benefits, let's say. So when we wanted to reach those targets, we had to consider new raw material, new ingredients. And this, at the end, also helped us to diversify our supply and secure our sourcing. So this is one of the side benefits. And all those researches also boosted our innovation. And these also new challenges were really motivating the team. So it brings really more sense to what they do in the daily work. And also very interesting. So working on scope one and two, so we wanted to decrease our direct impact from our manufacturing plants. Also, we saw some positive side effects that could also, of course, reduce some of our costs. I remember thinking as you were presenting your case study, how incredibly complex and encompassing it looked. And I was trying to think about the idea of a company really starting from scratch and going through this entire process in real time. I have to believe there were some challenges involved in that. So what were some of the biggest challenges in taking this kind of thing on? The biggest challenge at the beginning was to know with what kind of thing we would start with. In fact, it's so complex. It's coming from uh, the sourcing of the materials to the end of life. So what to start with? So let's take the example of what we did for our climate program. Our climate aimed to participate to the reduction of our greenhouse gas emission as part of a nation and in parallel with the Paris Agreement, as I said before. We needed to find a tool to be able to measure the footprint of our products, but also to visualize concretely where it was coming from, to be able to compare some products. We had really no idea of what was better than other things, except ideas we had in mind that beef is not as good as pork or poultry or whatever, but no real data on that. And we also needed a tool to simulate some scenario. So what would be the effect changing uh, the sourcing from this distance, but from another supplier that would be closer or whatever. So the biggest challenge first was to know where we were, where we stand. So in 2018, we launched, we started by running life cycle assessment on six different products on two different continents and to have the global picture where the impacts were coming from. This is where we realized that most of them were coming from the sourcing. And this is then where we realized that the formulation itself would have a very strong impact on the final footprint of our product. So we developed the tool in order that the users have a visualization of the recipes, of course, of the percentage of each ingredient in the recipe that they already have, but the contribution of this 
percentage to the final carbon footprint, for instance. And some very low amount of ingredient can have a very high contribution to the carbon footprint. So in this tool, we asked a partner to have a very nice and easy to handle tool to be able to visualize those contributions to ease the work of the product designer afterwards so that they can improve where you have bad performance, for instance. In 2019, we had this tool developed and we shared with the R&D team, so all regions. And it was funny because we shared with teams that we thought were really eager to dig into carbon footprint and, and whatever. And at the same time, there were a lot of pressure on disponibility of the raw materials, increasing the price, a lot of constraints everywhere. And they were sensibilized on the impact, climate change, everything. So it was perfect. They received the message. Coming to the tool, they found that it was a very nice tool, but the reaction was what another constraint <laughs> So in the product development. And I was a little bit disappointed because they were also feeling a kind of isolated because they were thinking that they had all the job to be done by R&D teams to reduce the greenhouse gas emission, whereas we forgot to tell them that some of the work could have been done by the purchase team, some of the work could be done by the supply chain, etc. At that time, we were not mature enough to show the R&D teams using this eco-design metrics tool that they were not alone in this uh, low-carbon journey. And this is where it was maybe missing to have the global program, low-carbon programs that we started to implement in all regions. But at that time, we had not the real objective concerning the reduction. So when we had this additional target, so we were at the beginning a little bit reluctant because we saw that as an additional technical constraint to fulfill. And that could bring, of course, more complexity to our development. So we are already rather long in our development phases. So we were thinking that it would add some additional work. We will also, of course, lower our rate of success to launch a product. The good thing is the tool was so easy to use that actually what we did, so we used it from the beginning. We assessed our complete portfolio. And for every new development, we were playing with that tool to really assess what was the impact, the footprint of this new development. And we did that for about one or two years. But then we really realized that it was something feasible to reach this additional target in addition to performance, to reliability, to cost, to add this also constraint, these constraints on the environment, because sometimes it goes really hands in hands with some additional objectives. So we realized that it was actually something that we could do. We learned by doing clearly, and then we realized that we were really up to the challenge. And then later on in 2022, there we had really clearer objectives coming from our top management where we understood that really our goal was to reach minus 30% of carbon emission scope one, two, and three by 2030. So having at that moment a really clear objective 
and we were willing to take this challenge. So we were really then at that moment ready and motivated because we knew we had some knowledge already and we had the tool to help us to realize this objective. What did Simrise end up getting out of this whole process that might have been surprising? Obviously, the process was worth it. You've given a bunch of reasons why in terms of preparedness, in terms of being a responsible company. How has this entire process elevated Simrise from a business perspective? And then has it flowed out into your partners in the industry? Not easy to answer because there are things that can seem we had expect already, but were achieved. But for maybe for other companies, it could have been unexpected. So what I mean is that we already have R&D teams that are really open to change. So this is something that we can start with. And what was unexpected is that, like you say, learning by doing made them so confident that now it's really part of the daily job to do it. So what we can say that is that today we have a pushing team in R&D that pray the message to the others that it's possible to be done. Another unexpected outcome is that between 2019, where we launched the eco-design metrics tool internally, and today, there were a lot of things that were implemented at the European level, including, for instance, maybe you heard about it, about the taxonomy concerning climate change. And we were not aware that today it would have been so useful to have this methodology and daily work on the greenhouse gas reduction, where today it's possible for us to tag some project or to tag some OPEX or CAPEX or even sales, for which we can demonstrate that we had specific actions and action plans to reduce greenhouse gas emission. And we can explain that to our investors. So it is really something that is unexpected because we didn't plan that the taxonomy would have been put in place so quick. And then we are not late at all. We are even a little bit in advance. So we have also some questions coming from many of our customers. I think it's rather new and I was not expecting so many questions so early, but really this year we have many questions from our regional European customers. Before we had more questions coming from the global companies, but now we really it's more up to the region and they ask many questions about the impact of our product and we are already ready to give these answers. Even more than those data, actually, we are also capable of sharing our methodology and are really eager to know how we could assess all this so we can really share the way we are measuring all this. And obviously, it gives us a a competitive advantage. What advice do you have for any other companies that might be considering doing something like this? Because it is a big undertaking. It does take a while. And it can be pretty complex depending on where you are in the supply chain. So where do you think it would be best for people to start? What are the initial questions they need to ask themselves so that companies can be set up for success to do something similar to what Simrise has done? We can speak only from our own experience, but my first advice would be uh, make it simple. (laughs) 
There is an expression in French uh, saying usine à gaz, so it's a gas factory. So if you want to do everything at the same time for every emission center of your business, it's just impossible. It will be too complex. So you have to first know the main contributors to your greenhouse gas emission and to focus only on that. If it's 80% of your emissions, it's enough. So don't pay attention to what is less than 2% or whatever, even if it can federate some people about commuting or whatever. But commuting in the company is less than 1% of the greenhouse gas emissions. So it's good to federate the people around one topic that is mobility, but let's more focus to be efficient on what makes most of your emissions. The second point is to work in agile mode. What does it mean? Concerning the tool, if you have to build a tool, let's focus on the main functionalities that you want first. So these were the one for R&D for us. Till 2021, we uh, have opened new functionalities for marketing. We will open functionalities, access to this tool for purchase teams. But first, let's do it for the main functionality you are looking for. And my third advice, because it's a world where the things are changing a lot, is if you can, it's good to be part of pet food federations in your countries because this is where you can follow how the the regulation is evolving. So it's really important to participate to those technical uh, groups or regulation or environmental groups You will be together with other pet food actors, and then you can contribute to build some standards. You can contribute to be aware of what will come for your business in the different countries. Europe is a big doer of a new regulation, but China and US uh, will follow. They speak also about uh, taxonomies and so on. So it's good to be aware to have specific tools or to pay to take into account all what will come. So these are all my advice. And also very key would be, uh, I would say also the top management involvement to get really a push from there to understand that this is really the high priority that if the company wants to survive and still grow, it has to grow sustainably. And also, and thanks to that, we saw to set a very clear objectives by department, but also by function to understand what is my role? How can I contribute to this uh, target? And to me, those two things also were really key. Yes, you're right. I think we can take some examples of companies where that have put in place some low carbon programs. And we know that specific objectives per department are really key, even getting incentives on the remunerations of the people on climate is also pushing some people when you have some discrepancies on the understanding on what means climate change according to the countries. So it aligns all the people. So having clear objectives is really, really key. I think that is all excellent advice. And considering I have listeners all along the supply chain and in all different parts of the pet food business, I think you guys have covered really well where different entities at different points in the supply chain can really begin to make a difference with this sort of thing, which is why I really appreciate you both taking the time to sit down with me today, because there are a lot of different sustainability conversations happening right now in the pet food space. 
And when I first saw the Simrise case study presented, I was fascinated by the all-in approach you guys took to bringing eco-sustainability on board. And I wanted to share that with my audience. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Before we wrap things up, let's do a little plug. Where can people find more information about you as well as Simrise Pet Food? Okay, we have a website, of course, which is uh, petfood.simrise.com. But also you can follow us on LinkedIn, so where you can find us, uh, Simrise Pet Food, where you can get all our latest news, our events, all the latest publications, and to see, yes, actually everything that matters. Excellent. That is it for this episode of Trending Pet Food. You can find us on PetFoodIndustry.com, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at Trending Pet Food Podcast. And if you want to chat or have any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to drop me an email, podcast at petfoodindustry.com. Once again, I'm Lindsay Beaton, your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.